you are listening to the production of the Toll Network. This is Laser Knees number 140. Red versus blue, yellow versus gold. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Kazoka Sentai Gokaiger, episode 5, Judgment Pirates, and episode 6, The Most Important Thing. Our writer for both remains Arakawa Naruhisa. Woo! Our director for both is Sakamoto Koichi. Mm. Unsurprisingly, since Luka is in a maid outfit in episode 6. Yeah, I'm glad you said it. If, if I mention it, I, I, I feel like I'd be a creep. And I just, I don't want to be the, the Koichi Sakamoto of this show. I just don't want that. I mean, I will make the joke. Yeah. I Look, am I, prepared for that. Yeah, good. I just, man, what a weird thing to have happen in the episode, right? Like, we're not even going to talk about it very directly. What a weird, like, you you have to set all of this up so that she'll be in the maid outfit when it's like, I don't know, it seems to me like she'd probably just show up in, like, jeans and a t-shirt, man. She just does not seem like the the put-on-a-fetish-costume type. See, I could I could see her doing it to scam someone out of money. I could I could see it. I guess. Cuz that yeah. definitely seemed like what she was trying to do, and then when it gets shut down, she's just like, "Okay, forget it then. I'm not I'm not worried about it." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, that's fine too. I it's it's so weird cuz they're just hiring her on to be a maid. You could just work as a maid and then just steal their stuff. It's Anyway, um, a weird, a weird oh, yes. little aside that I was not uh, quite sure where else to put it because it's it really means nothing. I just thought it was interesting. Is Tanuichi Risa, who plays uh, Komaki, the girl in episode six, is the daughter of Kunihiro Tomiyuki, who played Yamato's dad five years later in Zuoger, which I just thought was neat. That is neat. I I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, but. Yeah, neat. It's just a little fact yeah. that exists. And also, uh, just for housekeeping stuff, uh, not for you, Sono, because I know you know, uh, we are doing a Decaranger tribute episode written by Naruhisa Arakawa, um, and of course, he was the head writer on Decaranger. Which, there are going to be tribute episodes that are written by the, the people who were the head writers on the previous show, and I, I don't know, I just think... Pointing out that that's a thing that happens is, uh, that's a fun thing to do. But, hey, we're gonna, you know, we open with fun things, then we get into the bad stuff so that we can get to the good stuff. So, no, let's, let's get into the bad stuff, these episodes. Okay, episode five is just one little thing, um, and this time it's Joe. Uh, when Jasmine tells the Gokaijers that they should just turn themselves in for piracy, Joe just elbows Don really hard in the stomach for no reason at all that I can really figure out. Yeah, it was really weird, because, like, if it had been a, hey, this is all your fault sort of thing, I guess I could see it, but Don was one of the people who was like, well, maybe we shouldn't do this, thanks. Like, he's in the middle of drawing a breath to maybe say something, but, like, elbowing him to shut him up isn't much better, because, I mean... Maybe he was going to be mad charming and talk you out of it, Joe. You don't know. I mean, I guess maybe they're trying to imply a history, but still, like, ugh. I don't know. Like, Don was clinging to his arm, so I'm not sure if he was anticipating Marvelous giving them the signal to bail, and he wanted Don to be off of him so they were both ready to run. But he could have really easily just shaken Don off without hurting him like that. He could have just rolled his shoulder and Don would have fallen off of him. Yeah. And, like, I don't recall this being a pattern for Joe, which is why I don't have the animosity toward him that I do with Luca. And, because in the last couple of episodes, after Don had been hit twice by Luca, he was clinging to Joe and Marvelous, and neither seemed all that bothered by it. But, you know, I figure since I'm being so vigilant about Luca's behavior in this regard, I shouldn't gloss over when someone else engages in it. Yeah, absolutely. Fair is fair. And, like, the problem is not that Luca does a punch, it's that these people are doing punches on their friends, which isn't very cool, to yeah, say the least. it's just more of a pattern for Luca than anyone else. Mm. Um, but I'm gonna keep an eye out for it. I am keeping an eye on this as a situation. 
so for episode six, this may be one of the very few times y'all see me come to Luca's defense, but I was really mad on her behalf when she, you know, says to Komaki, like, hey, I was about to buy the ring, you can't just buy the whole store. And Komaki's like, well, first come, first serve. And I'm like, girl, Luca was first come. And then right after, Luca's translated by overtime is just saying, like, oh, snap. I And then she's like, she, you know, she starts talking some crap, but I was just like, I don't know. That was just a weird way to translate her reaction. It, yeah, it wasn't bad. Please understand. I'm not. It's just it hit me weird. I, I would have. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird. Yeah, I was gonna put it in good stuff, honestly, because I the thought of Lucas saying "oh snap" is just really funny to me. But it just it doesn't hit quite right. Like I could see Don saying it because yeah. like. Don is trying, you know, he's trying to figure out a way to to express this thing without actually doing a swear. But like, I don't know. I think you could, they could have just had had something else. I don't know. Mostly because I I'm suddenly remembering the bit in Zero One where Izu swears, and I just wish they had done that with Luca. Just like, no, I was gonna buy that first come first serve. Beep, and just like everyone, it's just like their eyes are getting bigger by the second. But also, like when Don expresses concern for Luca possibly going off with this incredibly shady dude, she elbows him in the stomach. So my yeah. sympathy for her not getting the ring she wanted at the beginning of the episode because she does walk out of the episode with it. Um, but my sympathy for her kind of having it bought out from under her is tempered at best. Yeah, like. Luca, I realize that lashing out is part of your whole thing and whatnot, but that is, that's Don trying to look out for her. Because it's not that he doesn't think she can take care of herself, it's just, yo, that dude is mad skeezy, though. <laughs> he's really, like, does not seem trustworthy. He's, he's just, he's trying to look out for you, girl, come on. And, you know, like, I know we mentioned it a bit, but Luca walks out in the maid outfit and the camera starts on her thighs as she, you know, does the little spin. I'm like, ah, yes, Sakamoto. Yeah, ain't it just. <sighs> but again, I, I do appreciate that the episode is immediately like, no, that's not why we're here. What a weird thing to have to do. I just, again, it's the thing where, uh, I forget if it was Junko Kamaro or Arakawa just writing the bit for the episode that Sakamoto directed in Akiba Ranger Season 2. Like, oh no, yeah, I just, I, I made sure to have to have the thigh here. You know, got the skirt, thigh, stockings. Right, that'll get that Sakamoto guy in. Which... Yeah, well, she's like, "Is it who's the director? Is it Sakamoto? Because I can do the thigh thing." Ah, oh, right, that was. And it, I'm just yeah. like, "Oh dear." And like, um, <laughs> it's anyway. Okay, so this is this feels like a weird petty thing, but if no one is allowed to enter the the money tree room without permission, why does the dude leave the door unlocked and also tell Luca about it at all? <laughs> Just lock the door and never mention it, because Luca is not here to do actual work, so she is not going to care enough to just bust through locked doors that might have nothing interesting behind them. And I was hesitant to even bring this up, because to me it felt like a very Cinema Sins critique, because, like, obviously he needs to show her because we need to know about the MacGuffin to get the plot of the episode moving, especially since we then cut to Zangyak talking about it, so now, like, it is a conflict between Luca and Zangyak, even though she doesn't know that yet. And the dude himself is absolutely the type to want to show it off and brag. But I don't know, it just still feels very weird that he brought her in there and that the door is unlocked and later is... Like, it's unlocked to the point that the stealth monster can just open it and walk <laughs> in and start going through the lasers and everyone can just watch. Yeah. I don't know, that felt very weird to me. Yeah, it's... I don't think it's it's really a cinema sins thing to point out that the core of the episode is is built on this really weird hook. And while it is a good focus episode for reasons we'll discuss later, like it's it's relying on a lot of coincidence, a lot of thoughtlessness, and also like I th I think honestly the biggest thing is Arakawa was just like, all right, well let's let's do this one about about money and and power and and what that you know what that means for Luca. And some tells me Koichi was just like, okay, but can we put her in a maid costume? Alright, fine, whatever, yes. We'll just write that happening. And they just they just didn't have time for all the bits where this dude is actually smart with his money tree. 
And I realize that's just real person fanfic, but also, like, boy, we've seen a lot of Koichi Sakamoto stuff. <laughs> yeah. He's, I'm not saying he's definitely a guy who does that, but I still remember the the weirdly gratuitous pool scene in Forza, in the the, oh, the school God, queen arc. Oh, that was so weird. It's just like, that was so weird. why are they having this conversation in the indoor pool? I, this is weird. I mean, I realized that it probably did show that, like, uh, Mew and or her friends had money, but still, it's just, this is a weird thing to do. And just, hey, Koichi, I'm glad that in recent things you sure seem to have calmed the heck down, but what the hell, dude? <laughs> what the hell? Anyway, sorry. Every time we bring that guy up, it just comes down to, what the hell, dude? So I hate to rail on Luca for this because I... There is a degree to which I understand her mentality, but I don't really agree with the way she responded to Komaki saying that she'd rather go back to being poor because she had a happier life. Like, Komaki knows how hard it was to be poor. It's not like she had lived this rich life and was glamorizing the, the like, starving artist life. Komaki did live like that, up until pretty recently, it seems. Like, not to the extent that Luca did, I guess, because Luca was living on a planet destroyed by war, but Komaki very clearly isn't ignorant of that struggle. Like, she knew that her dad made the bunny toy, mm. like, out of a sock and some buttons, because that's all he could afford. Like, she didn't have toys. Like, I don't... Like, both Komaki and Luka were lifted out of poverty by circumstance. Komaki by the tree, Luka by pirates. But Komaki has ended up isolated by it, while Luka literally found a whole new family who loves and supports her, and Luka is currently not struggling with basically anything at all except her internal baggage. Where Komaki's father openly cares more about the money tree than his daughter's well-being. We see that, and yeah. she has to live with that day to day. So I don't think that Komaki feeling the way she does is wrong at all. And for Luka to call her stupid for feeling that way, and that she shouldn't feel like that, and she should care more about money, like, I don't know, that feels really cruel. Like, I know that Luca is coming at this from the direction of she was the provider who could not provide for her younger sibling and these other kids she was taking care of, and that really hurt her, and she lost people she cared about because she couldn't provide for them, but I still feel like her response was really cruel. I've been spending a lot of time trying to, you know, since, since, the, since we started doing our notes, trying to think of some sort of cogent response, but I think you really got it. Like, even as you can understand, like, hey, yeah, money is important, but it's not that money is important because it's money, it's that it, it gets you the comfort and security that you would like, and wishing that when you don't feel comfortable and secure when you have money, it makes sense that you'd be like, well, at least then we could hang out. Like, yeah. Luca's going kind of over the top there. I, it, I think is what I'm saying. I'm agreeing with yeah, it, it's just the degree of how aggro Luca gets about it. And I know that's to kind of set up, like, I know that for Luca, that's kind of a PTSD response. Mm. Because, you know, she goes aggro, which is like, no, if I had had money, if I'd had money like this, I would have, like, everything would have been fine. But, like, Luca, she's not you. She's not the one in control of this money. She is in the position that your sister was in. Yeah, which y you gotta you gotta be able to make that distinction, kid. But yeah, I think that's about it for our bad stuff in these episodes. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Like that's that's really it. Though I mean, in fairness, I think that's a very good one to bring up and discuss because I mean, the show's trying to be nuanced about it, but it's a, it's not quite. It, it's still kind of de facto going to end up on Luca's side, because, I mean, she is one of the people who are the title of the show, so... And we don't see Kamaki yeah. again, which is a shame, because honestly, like, I'd kind of like to. Yeah, she's a neat character. Yeah. Also acted very well. I mean, I know that in this show, that's that kind of doesn't really need to be said, because, like, everyone in this show is showing up to, to work, but still, 
which leads me into just the good things, because, I mean, hey, surprise, surprise, uh, Go Kyger, this show that we've talked so much about as a example of a really well-done Super Sentai series, uh, we, we mostly have good things to say. So why don't you start us off with it? So I love everyone just kind of chilling at the start of this episode, like Don and I him bringing out lunch and Joe doing his push-ups, and Luca just with her feet up on the couch marveling at how much money she could get for turning herself in. And I, I will admit that at least for all her violence, she never does, and I truly believe she never would, even consider turning any of her friends in for the reward money. Oh yeah, absolutely not. At least not without asking their permission and ensuring that she could bust them out real quick. Like, there there would be a discussion if she was going to turn anyone in. And I would love to see them pull a con like that. Oh yeah, it'd be amazing. Though, that said, it does gotta be some kind of ego boost to see your wanted poster and see that it's that kind of massive and that it keeps getting bigger. That's, that is pretty cool. That said, like, poor Don. I realize it's a running joke that no one takes him seriously as they should, but still... Like, c- come on, Zangyang, put one more zero on there. Jeez. Yeah, because especially if that's analogous to Yen, which I think is, I think it would be because I feel like that's what the kids would, would get. Yeah. His, his, his reward 10 is bucks? ten bucks. Yeah. <laughs> come on, he's worth way more than that. He's, he's their tech guy, and they, they'd come back for him, so like, you know, be, be cool. Jeez. But I guess it is good for him that he'd be a low priority target. So that's yeah, nice. Yes. But still, like, hey, you, you give him some respect, jerks. Anyway, um, also, since we're talking about that scene, I love that Marvelous is just sort of dozing, just on his chair, like like he's someone's dad. And then just mid-snore, snaps to, so he can just drop a cocky line and start the episode proper, like, yeah, let him come get us. Ah. And it's just, I don't know, him, him just snoozing in his chair it just, it's really funny to me he is very charming sleeping in the chair i don't know why it's so funny but it is yeah it it's one of those things that shouldn't work but it it's just really also speaking of the the wanted posters in the newspaper this is maybe a stupid thing to zero in on but it just it hit me during this episode so i'm going to share it much as i realize that the reason is probably because there's a cultural expectation that someone will have at least some kind of ability to understand English, there's just something interesting to me about all the Zangyak Empire news being in English. Because, I mean, look, the U.S. did do some horrific war crimes to Japan, you know, we did drop some incredibly destructive bombs on civilian centers, and, and then we did an occupation and other sundry imperial stuff to that nation. So, like, if that was why the evil empire is all in English, I'd I'd get it. Again, I I realize that the reasoning was probably more we want to have an alien language, but also have it be understandable to the people watching. But still, it just, it seems like something worth... Uh, So I do appreciate uh, him asking the question, like, hey, we were just talking about how wanted we are and how much our, like, bounty just went up. Should we really be seeking out law enforcement? (laughs) Like, that's a fair question, and I'm glad somebody asked it. It surprises me a little that it's coming from Ahim instead of, like, Luca the hobby thief or Don who is generally just somewhat paranoid and jumping to the worst outcome. Yeah, it is really weird, but at the same time, it's nice to see Ahim out here asking the real questions. Yeah, it's just like, Ahim knows she's a pirate, but I I don't think I'd expect her to quite make the leap from we are cool pirates doing cool stuff to we are technically wanted criminals. (laughs) Like, Ahim, just because of who she is, doesn't seem like the one who would make that immediate connection. Yeah, like, it's... But I am, like, again, I appreciate that someone asked. Yeah, yeah, and I think you are right, though, because she definitely would have it intellectually, but not on, like, the instinctive level of, hey, wait, those are cops, we're criminals. (laughs) These things don't go together. But no. Yeah, because, like, she doesn't think of herself as a criminal. Yeah, she's, she's 
she's just, you know, she's a princess who has joined on with this merry band to uh, to go and, and give hope to her people. Man, I'm really excited for all the for the, the Ahim Focus episodes. Yeah, I, they are so good. They are. So Jasmine tricking Marvelous into putting his hands out for her to cuff was delightful. I love it so much. Just the whole, like, hey, it's customary on Earth. For you to just present, you know, for you to just hold your hands out like this—that's so smooth. And again, that's that's such a decorator thing, because that's that's having a burning heart, but a cool head, right? Yeah, and like in anything that even remotely resembled reality, that would be infuriating. Oh yeah. But you know, like decorator is plenty of indication that SPD will bend the letter of the law to serve real justice. Like, you can watch any amount of Decoranger, and that is that is so much what that show is. So, like, having Jasmine be charming and kind of pull one over on Marvelous is, is just very funny. Yeah. Uh, I did find it really funny that Marvelous then accused SPD of being so desperate for... Sorry, I lost my place a little bit. Uh... I did find it very funny that Marvelous accused SPD of being so desperate for funds that they'd claim a Zangak bounty. Oh yeah, because, I mean, look, out here in the real world, where, you know, in reality, all cops are bad, eh, it wouldn't be a, an unfair statement. Good on you, Marvelous, fight the power. Because yeah. there, are, there <laughs> are whole departments that just, how are they funded? Well, they don't get tax money as much as they just... They harass people on the street and then extract money from them in the form of various tickets and fines. Anyway, sorry. Just But just like with SPD, Sun Swan turned their base into a giant robot over the course of a weekend, and that was mid-show, and they still were not discussing budget. So I'm pretty sure that that didn't even put a dent in it. Oh yeah. Like, SPD has plenty of money, don't worry about it. Uh, but I also found it cute that when Jasmine says that they should all turn themselves in, the Gokai just kind of rile themselves up like they're gonna fight, and that, like, gets the cops kind of on the back foot, and then they just bail. Oh, yeah. Then just, they're just like, nope, we are leaving. Luca just standing there, cracking her knuckles as the cops advance, and it looks like they're gonna throw down. It's just, I recommend we all run. <laughs> so good. Yeah, just top-tier comedy. In Gokaijar. Yeah, no, all of it. No lie. As as intense as the show gets, what really lets it shine is that it's so good at nailing those little moments. After all, if you can make them laugh, you can make them cry. And they're going to make us cry, so let's get the laughs while we can. Marvelous sticking around to, like, the rest of the team bails and he does the, kind of the fight in the police station. Doing all the kicks and, like, rolling over the counter while he's <sighs> still got his hands cuffed was... Just incredibly cool. That was really a very was. well choreographed fight scene. Um, and then, you know, him taking off and crashing headfirst into Doggy. And then their opening banter rolling into the two of them going into an out-of-suit fight. That was an incredible sequence. Oh, it really was. And, like, look, I always come back to this, but one of the many things I love with Arakawa is that he knows how to write a crossover such that the new guy can come close to winning over the old school, but nobody's getting clowned on. Marvelous is showing he's got all the moves, but we are, ne we are never made to forget that Doggy Kruger is nobody to be trifled with. It was just so good. Like, I, I adore Marvelous trying to use Doggy's sword work against him to free his hands, but because Doggy is such an excellent swordsman, he has the control to see it coming and stop himself. And kind of be like, haha, you thought I'd fall for it, but I didn't. Yeah, nice try, like, kid. So yeah, like, really, that is the, the Sakamoto touch in in fight scenes. And, you know, I appreciate getting that without him getting weird about Jasmine, because he is known to get very weird specifically about Jasmine. Yeah, which, mm, it, it really is the thing that nobody does a fight scene quite like him, even even uh, uh, Hasegawa Horoichi, very good fight scenes, is not a Sakamoto fight scene. And it's just, if, if Koichi Sakamoto weren't all weird and horny on kids' shows, 
I wouldn't have to have this weird cringe reaction whenever I see he's directing a thing, and I wouldn't have to worry about about people like uh, the the actress who plays Jasmine getting perved on. Because, like, again, he seems like a very professional guy, and I've never heard anything that makes me think he's not. But boy, everything he puts on screen. <laughs> but, but Man Girls in Trouble is a movie that exists. Yeah, like, even, like, I haven't seen that, but I saw Space Squad, and, like, there's just... There's some bits where I'm like, why? Yeah, those bits are a direct callback to Girls in Trouble. Yeah, don't it? want it. And that's why I've never watched Girls in Trouble. <laughs> I would not recommend it for anyone. Um, I also find it incredibly goofy, but in a fun way, that they just happen to fight their way into the Zangex secret missile storage. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, look, I agree, it is goofy. But, like, hey, they didn't want this to be a two-parter. Which is a shame, actually, because this would be a great two-parter. Let's be real. But I, I just, I appreciate they're like, no, we got, we got to have the Zangak in here. This can't just be Gokaiger versus Decker Ranger, except it should be. That would rule, actually. Just saying. I mean, that is kind of what Lupot wanted to be, and we saw how that worked out. <sighs> but look, if it was just a two-parter, you know? Uh, hey, remember when Q Ranger just like all of a sudden? They, they had Doggy Kruger there. <laughs> I was hoping so much. I, I still, like, I still just really, I miss being able to be like, ah, oh, yes, Q-Ranger will turn out to be a Deca-Ranger prequel. I was like, all right, well, it was, it was a, it was an AU. That's fine, too. <laughs> I do kind of find it a nice touch that Doggy is pretty adamant about not partnering with a pirate. Because he doesn't know Marvelous. He doesn't know that Marvelous is the red of this story. And there were definitely some alienizers who classified themselves as space pirates in Decker Ranger. Oh, yeah. And Doggy is just trying to manage priorities and not let one potentially dangerous criminal escape and maybe hurt people in order to bring down another. Because that absolutely came back to bite them more than <laughs> once in Decker Ranger. Yeah. Frankly, that is the plot of, like, a third of the episodes in that show. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, is is fun and also makes for some really good and, and interesting episodes. But also, like, him him being kind of hard on that now not only shows that he's grown since Decker Ranger, but it also reminds you why he has been running stuff this whole time. And that's because Doggy Kruger does not play. All right, you're a pirate, you go to jail. Why? Because he's going to put you there. And even if we know, like you said, Sono, we know the Gokaijers are cool, but he doesn't. So this, I don't know, it it, it does set up a thing that Decker Ranger actually grappled with a couple times, which is that the justice system isn't perfect or all-knowing. And I just, I love it. Like, yeah. Decker Ranger's not even one of my favorites, but I watch this episode and I do remember all the like, all my favorite bits of Decker Ranger. Just the spirit of it. But I also love that the second Marvelous realizes that the frustrating dog man took a bullet for him. Like, his entire outlook on the situation changes. It becomes immediately clear to him that Doggy might be trying to arrest him, but he's not gonna let him be hurt needlessly just because he thinks that Marvelous is a criminal. Like, Doggy knows who the real enemy is and is just trying to figure out what's up with Marvelous. Like, Doggy is about justice over law, and when Marvelous realizes that Doggy took a bullet for him, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. We can work this out. Yeah, exactly. And he, he just understands what we do about Doggy in that moment, and that I understood about Doggy the first time I saw it, even though I'd never seen Decker Ranger, which is, like, he he's a man with a job. He's a man who believes in the system. He's lawful good. He's going to do his part to make sure the system is upheld, and that includes ensuring due process with his life if it comes down to it. Which, I mean, look, I work hard to put context onto cop movies and junk because I am not immune to copaganda. But man, if, if we're going to have cops... In, in our media, I want I want them to be like Doggy, because Doggy Kruger is the best cop. Well, okay, Ichijo from Kamen Rider Kuga, but he's he's in the top five. <laughs> Number two, with, with a bullet. I mean, he's basically Ichijo if Ichijo was a dog. 
a dog at like 10 years older and bi because i like ichijo yeah. is gay yeah <laughs> like i don't know if doggy's bi but like we know at least he he gets he gets with a lady i i don't want to to yuck your yums if you're one of the many people who has a thing for doggy krueger i'm not here to yeah judge. i mean look fair but we waited 10 years <laughs> and he finally told her oh um, so good Man, Deca 10 is a I don't lot know of how fun. people waited 10 years for that. I think it's just everyone knew what was happening. It's just. Oh, yeah. They, well, they. Deca Ranger versus Maji Ranger. Uh, Maji Mother's like, yeah, you two are the happiest couple I've ever met, including me and my husband. <laughs> and they're like, wait, but we're not. And she's like, yes, you are. Don't. Don't, don't be. Yeah. <laughs> don't lie to me. Don't lie to Maji Mother. Like, we all knew, but, like, I can't imagine people who actually waited ten years for that to be canon. I only had to wait, like, five. Yeah, oof. Anyway, mo moving on. Um, but just, I, I love that Marvelous repays that thing, like, Doggy taking a bullet for him by not running off, but instead coming to Doggy's rescue when, you know, his his life is on the line. And, you know, Marvelous kind of lays down his honor for that. And, you know, he he gives that little speech and Doggy's like, Oh, you're a red. Why didn't you just say so? Let's beat up a bad guy together. You're my son now. <laughs> I mean, look, that's not literally the lines, but yeah, those are ba that is basically what's going on. And, like, that suit can't smile, but boy, you can see Doggy Kruger smiling. It's just, it's a really cute moment. Yeah, like they, it's, again, we, we've talked about it with Momotaros, but they know how to shoot the Doggy Kruger helmet mm -hmm. to get different expressions out of it. Yeah, which, I mean, that's saying something, because it's, it's just, it's just the face, and like, sometimes the mouth is just flopping open, which honestly, actually, I was watching the fight with him and Marvelous, and like, his, his mouth is hanging open, it's like, of course, he's a dog, though. Yeah. He's exerting himself. He can't sweat. <laughs> but um, I'm listening to uh, a Power Rangers podcast, uh, The Morphin Grid, if anyone is curious. Mm -hmm. um, and they just got to uh, Power Rangers SPD, the, the Decker Ranger series. And I just, I keep looking at the, the admittedly very impressive animatronic that they have to replace Doggy Kruger. But it's just like, ah, you... You tried too hard, guys. You made it look too real. Is it an an? Is it an animatronic? I mean, it, I mean the the head is anyway. There's there's like there's motors in that thing. Okay, so it it's like a a motorized puppet. Yeah. For at least the head part. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Because the the because um, I I've seen some of SPD, but I don't remember it very clearly, so I didn't remember how much it actually. Yeah, it, like I'm pretty sure. It it moves a fair amount anyway. It's just, which is a shame because it it is somehow with all those movements less expressive to me than the doggy Kruger suit. Anyway, but just the the whole bit of doggy like forcing himself to his feet and he releases oh, the handcuffs so and he's like, "I'm gonna count on your sense of honor, even though you're a pirate." Like that was so good. Oh, it just really was. Every like bathing it in the like golden twilight lighting. <laughs> And the really intense string orchestration, and the way the two of them cool guy banter at each other, but they both get that they've found this bond in Justice and Sentai, because Marvelous is reckon recognizing Akka Red in Doggy, and Doggy is recognizing Bond in Marvelous. Like, it's all just incredibly done. Yeah, it really and is. And it's literally, it's literally just Arakawa taking his two favorite OCs, and, like, bashing them against each other and making them as cool as possible. And I respect that. Yeah, same. Same. I respond very well to it. And also just, hey, what are these characters' deals? It's like, like you said, it's it's the, it's the, hey, you have honor. I, I'm counting on that. Oh, you're about the rules. I'm counting on that. Like, uh, they're so good. And, hey, I just respect that Arakawa can see his favorite OCs and just know how to make us believe they're cool because he doesn't have to ever say yeah that's doggy kruger he's the coolest guy who was ever there he's just doggy kruger shows up and you know he rules actually 
He's just... Uh, uh, yeah, go on. Uh, just a thing in the little speech that Marvelous gives, I did find really interesting, because he says that they'll protect their honor against anyone and everyone, even if they're branded as pirates. And that was really interesting, because that means someone else decided the Gokaijers were pirates, and they reclaimed that label to make it something meaningful. Like, these were just some lost souls vibing together on a boat, and someone else decided to make it a problem. And the Gokaijers were just like, well, we're not gonna let you push us around, so I guess we're pirates now and we're gonna beat you up. Yep. Which, I mean, again, like, that's that's the thing we were talking about in the first episode. Uh, the A pirate exists in relation to uh, some other force, a force of law. And, yeah, they're just out there living by their code and them standing up for the little guy while trying to make a buck. And that's what they're about. And if that's going to be a problem for anyone, they're going to get wrecked. And I just, I, again, I, I just love the way that's expressed between him and, and Doggy. It's just... It's so good. Um, a thing that I also like is that even though Doggy gets pretty badly wounded, and that leads to him getting a little bit dunked on for a minute by the boss of the week, and he needs to be rescued by Marvelous, even though that happens, it doesn't feel like they're dragging down how cool or strong or smart Doggy is. Because, man, he does this all the time in his own show. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Because, I mean, here's the thing. He went out without a team. And everyone knows that if you're in a Sentai, which, look, Doggy can henshin, even if he usually doesn't need to, which means that, yes, he does not only run the Sentai, he's on the Sentai, you're only at a fraction of the ability that you could have when you go it alone. That's just that's just Sentai rules. But he's it's still just, just like that. There is a, a whole episode in Decoranger about Doggy is wounded, but he wants to go out and fight anyway because the Decorangers are going to be too reckless without him guiding them. And Swan is at his bedside like, Doggy, listen to the words coming out of your mouth. They get it from you. You are too reckless. You are, like, inches from death and you're trying to go out and fight. Like, it is perfectly in character for Doggy to get shot and, like, be bleeding out and still trying to fight for this thing that he thinks is justice. Yep. Like, it, the whole thing just absolutely felt like they were building him up to the cool comeback where he gets to fight alongside Marvelous. Yeah, absolutely. And it props to him, they sold it. Yeah, they really did. It was also really cool to see the rest of the Gokaijers getting to fight on their own without their red. Yeah. And they're so good at it, too. Like, it's it's really fun to watch. Yeah, because in Sentai, we will sometimes get spotlights on an individual member if it's their episode. And, you know, everyone is there and fighting, but we, we're mostly focused on them. But this is actually a Marvelous-focused episode. And we still get this really cool fight scene of the other four members of the team just absolutely, like, destroying even without Marvelous to lead them. Mm -hmm. Which is a really rare thing to see a full team get to show off together equally without their red. And I appreciate that the Gokaijers got to do that. And frankly, if I remember correctly, they do that pretty often in this show. I, I seem to recall so, yeah. I, I wish it didn't feel like such a rarity, because it's something we should get more. Also, like, I don't know from Goanger... But some of the moves they dropped in the Goanger suits during that fight were flipping sick. Like, I just, that was a lot of fun to watch. As was the Die Ranger bit. Yeah. Uh, the Goangers do have some pretty cool moves, but they're all kind of couched in the fact that the Goangers are very goofy. Mm. So it's it's always interesting to see the Gokaijers use the Goanger suits because they take it just so much more seriously. <laughs> Which, honestly, that that makes it even more fun for me. Just the idea of, like, using cartoon logic, except you're using cartoon logic in the, the quasi-realistic setting. I don't know, that's more. Also, Luca doing drunken boxing uh, while in the Die Ranger suits. Boy, that made the most sense, huh? That was very cool. I was kind of Die like... Ranger, Die Ranger is so cool. I, I need to watch it still. It's really good. Yeah. I, and it's I very it's, weird, but it's, it's really it's like good. Shout Factory? It is. Yeah. Shout Factory does have it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get into that sometime. 
Anyway, hey, by the way, dear listener, Togushatsu, if you're in the States or have a VPN, that's that's just free. You can watch a lot of Super Sentai, uh, as well as Kuga, Rider 1, and a lot of Ultraman. You yeah, should... so much Ultraman. Um, also, apparently, on their on the Tokushatsu Twitch channel, they will just air, like, 24 episodes of a show. Nice. You can just go there and watch it on their Twitch channel. Nice. They have always got something airing. Well, I'll have to give that a shot sometime. I just, I, I'm still so new to watching Twitch things, which is a shame, because you have an excellent Twitch stream. Uh, Twitch.tv slash KarateBugMom. Yeah, I, I'm doing a lot of new stuff. I'm going to lean into so much tokusatsu stuff in the near future. Look forward to it. Shout Factory, email us. We will sell out for so little. You have no Please. idea. I, I will sell out for next to nothing. Anyway, uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, but no, seriously, Shout Factory, call us. So I'm not going to lie. I did tear up when Marvelous does the backlit walk in and he transforms and then the opening drops in behind the fight. Because I usually when I'm making notes I watch the episode at somewhere between 1.5 and 2.5 speed. And even for that, like, it still got me right in the chest. I mean, it is pretty hot, dude. <laughs> just, the, the like you said, slow-mo walk, light just just beaming in behind him. The, the violins come in. It's amazing. Are those violins? I think so. Possibly. Some kind of string, anyway. The strings kick yeah. in. And I adore the banter between Doggy and Marvelous when the rest of the team shows up. I love that Doggy actually admits to having needed help, but he's also kind of busting Marvelous's chops by calling him a goody-two-shoes pirate. Oh, so like, good. That was precious. And I just, I love that, you know, Doggy sees them all run off to fight, and he's like, ah, yes. New children for me. I cannot wait to see how the kids I already have like their new little siblings, because I have a, I have now adopted all of them. Yep. And because Doggy has accepted his new litter of doofuses, when they do the Decoranger change, the Decoranger theme comes on, and yo, um, it's not a deep thing, and, and I admit I'm a real mark for a well-paced, a well-placed, rather, theme song drop, but yo... When the decorator theme comes up, that rules. Oh my god, it was so good. Just, just that rocked so hard. Like here's here's one of my many criteria for a good Sentai opening, oh, or or really Rider opening too. Just hey, how good are you gonna feel when they drop it at the start of the fight? And just the guitar in Decoranger, you start you start a fight with that, and I get hype. Yeah. Because like. Like, someone's about to get their face wrecked, and I'm gonna love it. <laughs> anyway, sorry, uh, I, I should, I could go on about how cool that one is for him. I do love that when the, the monster of the week gets big, he's just like, you know what? I'm just gonna throw the missiles <laughs> with my hands. Because, like, fair enough, dude, that would probably be, be my plan B if I was in that situation. Look, look I'm, I'm glad this dude is dedicated enough to, like, have a plan B. And to not just, hmm... These guys just murdered me. I might be a hundred feet tall, but I bet I could run away. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I just want to see some time in, in some Sentai where the monster is, you know, the monster is grown, and they're just like, okay, well now we have to find him. And then it's just hide-and-seek with a giant monster and their giant robots. I don't know, I think that'd be fun. That would have been good for the stealth guy. Oh yeah, that would have been good for the stealth guy. But they did have the bit here where they throw the missile at Walls Gill, and that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was good. Um, I do like the nighttime robot fight with all of the spotlights going in the background. Yeah. And I know it's mostly to evoke the kind of atmospheric feel of Decker Ranger, and is basically an opportunity to show off all of the lights that come with using the the pot striker, and any part of Decker Ranger Robo really. Mm. Um. But y'all know my ethos when it comes to a giant robot fight. Anything to shake it up a little. Yeah, no lie. Because, like, they, they can get pretty samey. But I, I especially like when they go to nighttime when they have robots with light-up bits. That, so I can just sort of soak in the aesthetic of it. I, I love it. Also, I love that when the Gokaio gets the guns from the Pat Striker, 
the the Gokaio holds him sideways. Like it's it's sort of a subtle thing to me that's like, hey, yeah, sure, they might be using the cop superpowers, but they're still kind of on the iffy side of the law. Yeah, I mean that's also how Bond holds them when he does like a dive through the air. He does them sideways. Oh, um, so it's also kind of a nice little callback to to Decker Ranger. Yeah, it's been. So- I don't. I think they do it in the robot sometimes, but it's mostly a Bond thing. Yeah, I mean that would make sense. Um, cause... But just how hard they lean into Decker Ranger is so good. Yeah, it is. I I confess I forgot that part. So you know, good catch. And also good on uh, them for doing that reference, because that's that's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, with how much DECA stuff they have done since Gokaiger, it really does feel like DECA Ranger is Arakawa's baby, and that if he can get the cast together, he will make DECA Ranger <laughs> stuff for the rest of his life. So I'm I'm not surprised with how hard they leaned in. Yeah, no. I just, I know I just had my bit about Copaganda earlier, but dang, I wouldn't thing if I would love to live in a world where the cops were Arakawa cops, you know? I yeah. I love an Arakawa cop show. He's just he writes them very good and I realize that that's mostly fantasy, but hey, I do like living in a fantasy world for a second where cops are good. But they're not all cops are bad. Um, I I do adore Bond showing up at the end like, "Hey boss, we looked into it and the Zangak just called these guys pirates. <laughs> They've never actually done a crime." And Marvelous and Joe just both so heavily roll their eyes like, y'all really had to spend an entire episode off-screen figuring that one out. Though Bond trying to act cool and be like, oh, I'm not a softy like doggy, so you better watch out and not actually do a crime. Like, that was very cute. It was. And look, he's not wrong, because he's not a softy like doggy. He's a softy like Bond is. Which is so much softer. So much. Also, I- I- there's a part of me that wonders if, okay, Marvelous and Joe are doing the like, ah, oh, yeah, of course not, of course the Zangyak lied. I just like to imagine though in the back that like, uh, Luca and Joe are like, Luca is just like, you know, tugging at her collar like, I mean, I have done crimes. They just, they just didn't catch me for those ones. Because <laughs> like, she is a hundred percent done a crime. <laughs> she definitely does kind of like side eye off into a different direction. Yeah, because I mean. You know, like, look, I, again, this is, this is where we talk about the social construction of what criminality is, but she's done some crimes. A little bit. Also, like, hey, more than anything, I'm just glad that this episode doesn't fall into the weird, horrific, and very specific calumny that many episodes of Decker Ranger do, where they assert that Jasmine might be an Esper. Like, I- We will never know the truth. Yeah. I, I just, it makes no sense. I'm glad they just- didn't even bother bringing up the controversy. Anyway. Also, it's not many. It is every episode yeah. of Decker Ranger. Yeah. I don't know why they're, they're always trying to assert it when there's no evidence. None. <laughs> Look, I let me have my, my incredibly stupid long-standing joke. This is, this is our meme, guys. This is what we've got. <laughs> oh. Anyway, uh, moving on to episode six. Uh, so again, for all my complaining about Luca, I do like the beginning of the episode where Luca rails on Komaki's wasting money as this foreshadowing for her having grown up essentially homeless mm. on this planet ruined by Zangyak, scrounging for whatever she could get to survive. And she's so obsessed with money and treasure because she wants to keep herself and her new loved ones from ever having to live like that again. Like, that's that's some nice setup, and I do love that the second that she hears that this family was once really bad off, Luca has, honestly, I again, like I said, kind of a PTSD reaction. Mm. Like, her whole body kind of goes slack, and her gaze, like, her her vision goes completely unfocused, and it's clear that, like, just hearing impoverished messed her up. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I know that Luca's not a fave, but it's not like Mao is any slouch bringing Luca to life, right? Yeah. Like, there's a reason Mao's career took off after Gokaija. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Just, it, like, I stop and think, there was a time where she wasn't, like, Mao. Which is just in just weird to consider. Yeah. I'm glad she was on Gokaija then. She deserves to have this, this, you know, to be a big player like this. Good for her. I, I really love Komaki having the old, like, 
stuffed bunny made from socks and, like, found buttons from when, you know, her and her dad were really poor and, you know, hiding it amongst her more expensive stuff and other stuffed animals, um, kind of as this special treasure that is just hers that she doesn't want other people to see. Because uh, that is a trope I am forever weak to. I mean, look. That's, that's my weakness. You can always pull that one out and get me. Sentimental attachment to the stuff that makes you feel real and connected? That's, that is a, a thing that keeps popping back up for a reason. It's really good. And then, you know, the, the bit of her seeing the monster, like, sneaking through the lasers, and she's about to do something, and then she stops herself, because if he takes that tree, maybe then her and her dad can just live like normal people again. And it was just a really great little moment of, of seeing that there was something deeper going on with her. Yeah, she's... First time you see her, you think she's this awful, spoiled rich girl, and they just do such a good job revealing all of her depths, and it's it's really nice. Um, I also really love the bit of the stealth monster going invisible and then getting immediately smashed by a truck. That was very funny, especially because it didn't seem to have actually done any harm to him, so it was just full-on Looney Tunes slapstick. That was absolutely a wily e. Coyote moment. Oh, 100%. And, like, I love a good Wily e. Coyote moment. And also, I... I love when invisibility is more than just, yes, I am super sneaky and amazing. Like, so often we forget that it ha would have the downside of, oh, wait, no one can see me to make sure they don't hurt me. Which, I mean, it's it's good comedy on so many levels. Yeah, and it's just, I, I appreciate, because normally if someone, like, can do invisible stealth stuff, they're observant enough to, like, not get hit by a truck and be smart enough to, like, hop the fence first. Yep. But this dude's completely incompetent. This is a dude with a very strong power and zero brain cells. Yep. Best kind of villain. Well, top five. So good. Uh, so I, I adore Komaki's dad running out to ask about the safety of the tree as Komaki is lying on the ground clearly about to be attacked by a monster. And what I love about it is Komaki just... Her, her just... Her gaze just trails off to the side, like, you know what, just let this dude take me out. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I mean, like, fair. It, it, it really is the moment that it becomes clear that she's spending wildly not only to fill the void of parental neglect, but also to just try and get rid of all the dang money. Because if she can do that, she can stop living this, you know, wealthy but empty life and go back to feeling like a person. She just wants to drain the bank account enough so that they are living, like, normal middle-class lives. Mm. And I like that as an angle. Because, like, using stuff to fill the void, I get, and is mm. pretty common for this plot line. And, you know, it just it buy things to make herself happy momentarily so she's not thinking about her parental neglect. But I feel like this is the first time that I've seen there also be the angle of, what if I just make the money go away? Um, so I, I hope that she is also making some big donations to good charities on that front. Yeah, I was- Because one, that's a good way to get rid of a lot of money fast, but also it helps people. Yeah, which, you know, win-win. Because, hey, um, if somehow there are rich folks listening, and, and you, you're having troubles because you're rich, we here at the Toll Network would happily take all that difficult, difficult money off your hands. No questions. Just, yeah. Just hey, contact us. I mean, it, it'd take a lot. I mean, there would be some questions because you know, it's a direct deposit. It's a really good way to do a scam anyway. But if you have a lot of money, just find a way to get it to us. You're rich. You'll know how. Um, Luca's out of suit fight was incredibly cool. Again, like Sakamoto is really good at the thing that he's really good at. Yeah. Like the bit of her where she's like manipulating the rich guy and like moving his hands and kicking his leg to go up. Like that was really fun. Yeah, it was. And watching her like dunking on the monster while she's doing it even as he's trying to act tough and insult her, like it was just really cool to watch. And like I love the bits of her like trying to get the guy to pay her more to fight off the monster and, like, pretending she can't hold him back. Like, that was great. Girl, get that bread. Mm -hmm. Like, I may not like Luca on the whole, but I respect the hustle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, as 
in this case, how do you not? Dude spent the whole episode thinking his money can buy him everything, and I'm very much here for her illustrating that it cannot buy him being a hardcore lady from beyond our star. Like like you said, get that bread, girl. Get paid. The, I, I do think my favorite part of the episode is kind of the quiet little moment between Luca and Joe. Like, as much as I'm not fond of the way that Luca reacted to Komaki, I do like the way that Joe recognizes what's hurting Luca. Even if he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know the details of it, but they've talked a little bit about it before, and he's trying to support her through this thing where she's clearly dealing with her trauma and remind her of why money is a thing that means something to her. Because both Luca and Joe are pretty closed off about why they're hurting. They don't really talk about it. And we know that from the episode with Joe and Ahim, like, Joe really is not upfront about it. But the way that he and Luca talk in the scene make it clear that both of them have been here for a while. And even if they don't know the details of each other's trauma, they know the rhythms of when they're having a rough time with it. And even, even if neither of them are great at expressing about it, they do care about each other and have their own language with each other to get across like, hey, I care, I know you're hurting, if you want to talk you can, but also get your priorities straight. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's a really, really great way of building on what we have learned about Joe and using that to then look up to lift up Luca's development. Like, it's a really masterful little bit of writing. Yeah, it really is. And it's such a, like, a short, blink-and-you-miss-it thing. Like, it's not a massive scene, but it hits so, so freaking hard. And again, whatever problems we might have with certain character things, the writers and actors are here to do their job, and they do it so well. I, I really, actually, my favorite bit may be... Oh, no, I, I jumped ahead a little bit. I really love that when the mansion is under fire and, you know, they're, they're like, getting the readings, everyone turns to Luca to see what she intends to do about this because the rest of the team has absolutely no stake in this. They have not been involved and it makes no difference to them if this mansion burns down. They don't even want the gold tree. I don't even think Luca wants the gold tree. She just wants to extort some money out of this guy and get that ring she wanted but they do know that this is connected to what's aching in luca's heart and if she wants to go save these people they're with her yeah, which you know, honestly it's that sort of thing that really puts go kaiju just head and shoulders above a lot of other sentai because i know there are other sentai where they'll let someone else take the lead like that instead of always the red but I don't know, it's it's the understanding throughout the series that these are five weird kids from all over the galaxy, and they all have their own damage that they're shouldering, that the others aren't entirely aware of. It just, it feels so uniquely Gokaiger, even if it's a thing that, to some degree, has happened in other series. Look, I, again... Yeah, I, see, I'm, I'm not sure, like, it happens, but not quite like this. Yeah. Just not to this level, not not in this directed and, and I don't know, focused a way? It's usually a thing where, you know, the, the focus character will run off to handle it and everyone else will show up behind them. Mm. There's not generally this moment of, we're not involved in this, this is your thing, what do you want to do? Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. It's... I don't know, it's just, it's one of the unique things that really makes these good, good pirate kids just, it's what makes them our favorites. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of surprised we haven't had more Sentai trying to, to recapture that feeling. Or if they are trying to recapture the feeling, they've really missed the mark. Yeah. So I, I, I may have lied about the bit with Luca and Joe, because I think my favorite bit in this, year, in this episode is actually when Luca goes into the house and finds Komaki and her dad, and Komaki's like, the most important thing to me is in there, I need to go get it. And her her dad misinterprets that as the gold tree when she's talking about the stuffed rabbit. 
and offers to pay Luca in advance this absurd amount of money to retrieve it. And Luca just absolutely knows what's up because she has now kind of worked her way through her trauma and is like, no, you're kind of right. You do need to pick the happiness over the money and just have enough money to get to happiness. And, like, as again, as much as I'm not totally into the way that Luca responded to Komaki's lament, I do appreciate that talking with Joe got her priorities back in line, and she knows that in her heart she would sacrifice any amount of money to get back the happiness she lost with her sister, and in that moment she accepts that that's what Komaki is trying to regain. She's not, like, Komaki understands the value of money, and she's not glamorizing being poor. She just wants to have that moment with her family back that Luca realizes that she too would give anything for. And I like that she doesn't take the payment for rescuing the stuffed rabbit. She returns it to them as this gift for them to start over. I mean, she probably could have kept it. I think that Komaki's dad managed to save enough jewelry that if they sold it all, like, they could buy another house and have enough money to, like, get food and things. And while, you know, they get jobs, like, I think they would have been fine without it. But I do like that Luca was kind of gave it back to them in this gesture of, hey, I don't know what you're walking out of here with. I am not going to throw you into complete homelessness. Just get out there and, you know, live this happy life with each other. Be yeah. a family again. Yeah, it's really lovely. And, like, look, honestly, there's likely more than enough there for them to not worry about things. And that's all any of us need, really. I honestly and truly want for everyone on Earth to just not have to worry about it. I think we'd all be much happier. I also really appreciate them letting Komaki kind of backhandedly call her dad out on how terrible of a father she's been because when when luca gives her the rabbit she's like this reminds me of when you were a good dad (laughs) i'm like oh girl worm yeah right like it's it's rare that we get to see the kid call out their bad parent yeah especially in these kids shows i mean like look not to bring up common rider ghost in a negative way but there is that arc in ghost that's all about like, hey, now you let's let's help you understand why your parents suck. And you know, it's all well and good to understand why your parents suck, but since the parents never have to stop sucking or even apologize for the ways they intend to continue sucking, man, that's garbage. But in at least in this one, we see that the dad gets it, and you know, good for Kamaki. Good for her. She I'm glad her and her dad are gonna are having their priorities put back in place. Well, actually, yeah. no, she still she always had the priorities. Glad Dad's getting his priorities back in place. Um, I also do love the one, the little bit of a solo fight that Luca gets, where you know she goes in and Joe's like, "Here, here's the other sword. Just, just girl, go get him," and gets to show off beating the bad guy up with herself while the whole team watches. Because one, that was cool, was but cool. also I adore. In the, like, background lineup, Don is just bouncing around and kind of mimicking her swings because he's just so excited to see her get to be cool. Like, that was a really good little bit of suit acting that didn't need to happen. No, it really didn't, but it is those little details that pepper this show that really make the characters sing. Because I I don't know, like, I, much as I think we can both agree that it'd be nice if Luca wasn't that way to Don. But in spite of how mean she is to him, Don still clearly looks up to her, and and I like that that's a thing we keep coming back to. Because when she's not hitting him, she does have those good big sister vibes, and like, I don't know, it would have been nice if they just let her stop doing the hitting. But that's neither here nor there, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, Luca. Anyway, um, I feel like that's that's uh, all all I've really got on these. Besides, you know, hey, Go Kaiger, still very good, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, one thing I did forget to mention is I really liked that when Luca wasn't with them, that they did the uh, Jacka lineup because you know the the fifth member of Jacka is Big One. Yeah, right. And you can't really put Big One on Luca. You'd have to put it on Marvelous because it's Big One. But then the color alignment is all off because then 
someone else is a red and this isn't a red lineup. Yeah. Um, so that's just, it was such a perfect time to use Jacka. Yeah. Though I do, I'm pretty sure there is a time where they, they do Jack again and they let her be big one. I, I could... They probably do. It just it feels very weird to me to have her be. Big oh one. yeah, no, because I mean it's it's like in the the Goanger bit where Ahim is the black because you know they have a green and a black. Yeah, it, but like the big one doesn't. Yeah, he's still the same role of an of a normal member of the lineup. No, he really doesn't. So it it feels it feels weird. Like it feels like Guy should get big one. Yeah. That would make a lot more sense, because, I mean, he's he's an extra. He's the sixth. Or, I guess, in that case, the, the fifth. But, yeah, it's weird. Anyway, um, any other final thoughts? Or do we think that's good? Uh, no. Just, just that. All right. Well, then, for all of us here at Laser Knees and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sonic. And heave-ho, thieves and beggars, never say we die!